Hi, everyone, and welcome to the I Am Landscape Growth Podcast, where entrepreneurs help entrepreneurs grow faster, better, and stronger in the green industry. From leadership to sales to recruiting and operational excellence, we cover the topics holding entrepreneurs back and share how to get past those bottlenecks with the best in the industry. I'm your host, Rob Murray, co-founder and CEO of Intrigue, a digital marketing company focused on helping landscape companies grow. So sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to a, another episode of our wonderful podcast, I Am Landscape Growth. Um, today, I have the honor and privilege of bringing Chris Shear uh, from Father Nature Tacoma on the show. Thank you, Chris, for doing this. You're welcome, Rob. It's my pleasure. Um, we've had the uh, opportunity to work with Chris over the last, whatever, maybe 13, 14 months. It's been an absolute joy. Um, so maybe for the sake of the audience, you can give people a bit of a rundown of kind of what you're up to today and like kind of how you got there, where you came from to get you to the role you're in right now. Okay. Um, man, that's kind of long-winded, so feel free to cut me off. No, it's all good. We got, we, got, we, we got a bit of time. Context is key, <laughs> right, for these folks. Yeah. So I am... Um, not the majority owner of Father Nature Landscapes Tacoma. I have a business partner, his name's Andrew. Um, and I was getting my degree at the University of Washington back in 2006. And I met Andrew at an event at church. It was called uh, Men's Life. And we got paired up in this big group of about 10 guys. And as men often do, you're kind of going around feeling each other out and like, well, what do you do? What do you do? And Andrew mentioned what he did. He owned a landscape business. He had just started it in Tacoma. He'd moved from Birmingham. Um, and he and I immediately connected. Um, and I was able to get his information, like his phone number, and then just told him, hey, man, I'm always looking for part-time work. Would you have any interest in letting me come on and help your career or something? And he, he said yes. And so I was able to um, join I think it was his first project he sold. Um, and I met up there one day and he put me to work. And I mean, I started at the bottom. So I was a laborer on the crew part-time while I was getting my degree. And then um, as things progressed, the it, over the course of about two years, I, I kind of worked my way through the ranks, so to speak. Um, at one point, he found out I liked and had an interest in carpentry. And so then I started doing wood projects for us, like small decks and um, pergolas, gazebos, that type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then <clears throat> as I finished my degree, which was in accounting, uh, I also helped him with the book. So I, I ran payroll and I kind of became an, an office person, especially as I got an internship, um, which was taking more of my time. I really couldn't make it work well to be out in the field. Uh, and then also go to classes and do his book. So that's kind of how I progressed through the landscaping business. And then um, for about 10 months, I took a job in accounting and he was still running Father Nature and I sucked. <laughs> I was a terrible, terrible accountant. Um, <laughs> I I really, I liked the people um, that I, I was in office with, but the grind of sitting at a desk in a cubicle which it literally was for me on this huge floor um i had no interactions with clients i had very little interactions with other staff i was just given numbers to kind of crunch through on spreadsheets and do tax returns it it really sounds amazing 
God bless accountants, Rob. Um, but I, I, I wanted to throw myself off the sixth floor most days <laughs> and just end it all. Um, and anyway, I, I joke all the time that the managing partner brought me in one day and sat me down across the big desk from him and said, Chris, we got a chat. And I knew, I felt, I knew what was coming. Um, and he just said, look, you, you're not very good at this. I do <laughs> you're like, I know. <laughs> and he's like, I, I believe we could put you on a plan of improvement. I'm sure you would show improvement. Um, but I got to ask you, is this really what you want to do for your, is this what you want to do for the next 30 years? And I had this moment of like good cop, bad cop, the devil on my shoulder, all that. And the words just tumbled out immediately. And I said, no, I really don't like it. And uh, Bob was his name, and he was so gracious. He said, look, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to pay you two months severance. Go to your desk right now. Write a letter of resignation. Take it to HR. You clean your desk out as, as fast or slow as you want, and this will be your last day. And I, was like, I stood up, shook his hand. There was no hard feelings. I went to my desk. I did that. I left. Um, and before I called my wife, who was pregnant with our first child, to tell her I Perfect. just job, I called Andrew. And yeah, this was I gotta, Friday. I gotta get my shit covered before I go yeah. my wife. <laughs> this was like Friday at two in the afternoon or something. And I said, Hey Andrew, I I can be back to work on Monday. I really want to make a go of this with you. And he was like, Oh heck yeah, man, let's hit it. <laughs> Alabama, baby. Let's Alabama. Go. <laughs> Roll time. And so uh I got back with him on Monday uh and got to work. And then he and his wife had their first daughter later that year and in doing so they realized they didn't want to be the 20 the 2000 ish miles from home so they decided to move back to birmingham and in doing that andrew said why don't you take over the business and i'll give you an equity ladder and you'll earn up to this percentage of the the business and it'll take this long and what do you think and i said yes um and so that's how i became an owner in father nature and it it's good and bad in that i've done everything in this business and help grow it from when I took over in 2009, we were grossing about 280,000. Mm. Um, and so in being that small, it was me and a three-man crew. I mean, I sold the work. I managed the work. I invoiced the work, collected receivables, ran payroll. I was the receptionist. I did all purchasing. <laughs> yeah. I did clean the toilet, all that kind of stuff, the janitor. And I've been blessed in that. I've, realized along the way I have some skills but I I was never a trained landscape professional I don't have a horticulture degree or a design and so I paired myself as I found people who were really good whether it was a sub or not I really glommed onto them um, and just told them the truth and said this is not my area of expertise it's yours but I'd like to leverage your talents for the better of my customers and my business and they all agreed and in doing that more and more people began to join Father Nature and we started growing um, and we've been able to get it up to, I think we're just shy of 30 people right now. Um, Epic. And it's been a heck of a ride and I have quite a few plans for it to keep going. So it, it's been fantastic. Um, I love it. And thank you so much for, you know, giving the context, right? You know, um, I think there's a lot too, for people that are starting out their careers, you don't have to know exactly what you want. You just got to go start trying stuff out, even if you yeah. hate it. And then you find the contrast that leads you in the right direction. So I think that's a really cool story on a lot of levels, Chris. So thanks for sharing. So one, one of the things um, 
I wanted to ask you about. So first and foremost, the podcast is designed to help uh, landscape entrepreneurs grow faster, better, stronger. And in doing so, working with folks like you and the best in the business, uh, understanding what the constraints are to growth in the industry. And so, you know, um, quick summary, what's the focus of Father Nature in terms of a landscape business? Our goal is to connect life and land. And that, that might sound hokey, but we want people, our clients, um, to utilize these spaces we're building for them and to create memories with their family and friends and sometimes coworkers um, and get out and live outside. That's awesome. And purpose-driven business, nonetheless, focused on residential, mostly design build yes. and, and creating these epic spaces. And I think in, in one of the pieces too, we talked about how you really love to focus on creating um, outdoor experiences that engage the five senses and, you know, yep. really, you know, stop the epidemic of kids glued to screens. You know, I don't think that that's it, exactly what you say, but it's pretty much the essence of how you guys work. I would agree. hundred um, percent. Which is amazing from our perspective, because it helps us distinguish you from somebody else. Um, yeah. We're, we, we're not the company you call if you just want a driveway or a backyard patio and that's it. We're to your point, more the company you call if you're looking to, have different areas of your backyard that serve different purposes and you want to get, you know, 20, 30 people in the space on a regular basis and you want to cook out there and you want to congregate an area around a fire pit and, you know, you want to have the water feature rolling in the background to create the soft um, breakup of all the sound from the neighborhood and things like that. That's really what we do. Yeah. It's amazing, man. Um, and, and so um, when it comes to what's holding people back right now, like, where do you see growth constraints in the industry currently? In our business, it's probably me. Um, a willingness to, like, we grew in, in kind of the high of the pandemic. I think I was just shy of 50 employees total. Um, so we like, you know, it's 20 more-ish than what we have right now. Um, and in running my numbers, I, I can't, I got to be honest with the, the audience, I was never... I was always really good at building landscapes and working with people. I have not always been diligent about running the business by the numbers and actually diving deep into them and understanding what's my gross margin, um, what's my net, uh, what's our cash flow position um, and different ratios. And we have really in the last about two, three years kind of try and job costing the big one too, looking at running the business as an actual business and not afraid to make a profit. And if my employees and staff or clients don't like that, then they're not a good fit for us because we need to make some money at the end of the day. The, the stuff we do is too risky and too darn cool for this business to not make a, a decent margin um, and be able to give something back. Yeah, it's awesome. And I mean, so first and foremost, very few leaders have the wherewithal to look inward as the major growth constraint. Um, I think you nailed it on the head as leaders. We're the ones that uh, set the pace for an organization or bottleneck it. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, I really appreciate your perspective there. And I think a lot of people, you know, that might resonate. Um, but maybe you can just walk us through that transition from, you know, uh, a, a, a business, uh, like a love affair, if you will, of making awesome stuff for really cool people, working with great staff to, making an operational organization that's designed to not only do that great work for great people with awesome staff, but to also turn a profit, you know, yeah. what did that transition look like? And, and, you know, what are some of the, you know, lessons you learned? Yeah, that's an easy journey. I've got Andrew, my business partner who runs father nature Birmingham in my ear. 
And for years, like he is the one um, who found LMN, I don't know, eight years ago or something. Um, had it for about a year before we adopted it here in Tacoma. Before that, we were just doing like square foot pricing through QuickBooks. Right. Um, having no, Rob, no idea if I was going to make a profit on a job because I never planned for it. Didn't know if I was recovering overhead because I didn't plan for it. Weren't even thinking about it. No, it was just like, I don't know, about 20 bucks a foot and we ran some numbers, but you know, like it, it just made no sense. It's a thousand square feet, 20,000 bucks. Let's go. That's it. Let's do it. Um, how long is that going to take? I don't know. That usually takes about a week and a half. Yeah. Um, and so, how many people do you need? I don't know, three, five, six, whatever. That's right. Um, and now with the utilization of LMN, you know, it breaks down. We do our man hours. We know what equipment's going, what materials, and so it's easier to schedule um, the projects. It's there's an accountability to it as well because we just post the hours and we talk about it constantly around here uh and our job so you're costing, kind of raising the acumen too like the business acumen of everybody in the organization yeah trying really hard and that's been it's been a bit of an uphill challenge because i have some staff that's been here with me um i have uh, my brother has been with the business since 2008 right um and then i've got a couple other guys that have been here over 10 years and they're real leaders but they still remember kind of the run and gun how we did it and so there's they're the ones I had to really focus on and work on. Hey, you guys have to understand these man hours and how this works and translates into the completion of the job so that you can help be my leaders to the, all the rest of the staff so they understand why it's important and how we're going to measure success around here. Okay. So then, yeah, walk us through that. We, I hear this a lot from um, entrepreneurs, you know, all sorts of businesses, but legacy staff, good human beings helped grow the company, maybe tied to the way we used to do things. Now we're moving in a new direction and we got to bring them along the way. You know, is there any lessons you've learned in like how to approach those folks or any mistakes you've made that you wouldn't do again or something that worked really well? That's a great question. Um, I am a person who's very comfortable with change and it doesn't disrupt me. In fact, I like it. You almost I'm, embrace it. Yes. Uh, and I think that's part of being an entrepreneur and the leader and the, the grower of the business. I'm willing to try something run the numbers, realize not that it didn't work and completely throw it away and start fresh. And I've realized, especially as I had one designer leave a few years ago, she said, the change in this building is too constant. It's all the time and there's not a consistency going on. And I really, her name is Lorene. I really took to heart what she had to say and said, man, we have to do, analyze things and make changes once or twice a year. We can't be flipping the script every month. Uh, go to a go to a conference come back we're changing everything <laughs> that's it you know like hey there's a better rat mousetrap out there we're gonna take it and do it and uh i realized uh, unless we were gonna go under because we're doing something which we were never in jeopardy of um we have to be slower and more thoughtful in how we roll out change and then explain it and get the buy-in first oh dude yes and almost like beta test it behind the scenes and then let people know, Hey, I have been doing this and it's working on this crew because we run um, three install crews and one carpentry crew and then one maintenance. And so I've had the ability to kind of try some new things silently on one of those groups and then be able to convey to everybody else. Like this group is now hitting hours and doing this. Here's how we're going to do things moving forward. And the why behind it, I think is important. Um, not just the go do it. It's the reason why we're going to, 
Well, and I mean, I think you just touched on some like really key points there that I want to just kind of highlight quickly. One is there's that saying, right? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, and I, you know, I heard this for years, you know, slow down to speed up. Yep. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, I'm, I'm trying to do shit. How am I supposed to slow down? Uh, but I think you captured it really well in that, like, okay, I'm going to figure out what we need to do and why. I'm going to go find some folks that will help me test it and figure out how. Then I'm going to figure out if it worked. And then once I've got that figured out, I'm going to communicate why it matters to everybody and how we're going to go moving forward. Like, that yeah. takes time to slow down to get everybody to move together faster. It does. And I, I know for our staff, we employ a very high uh, Hispanic contingent. It, it's probably... 80, 90% of my field staff is Hispanic. Um, and there does need to be a level of how this is going to benefit them. And sometimes that's monetarily. Other times it's researching different equipment that's going to make it easier on them and less uh, physically exhausting. Because this is, it is a very hard industry. No um, doubt. It is hard work. It is taxing on you. You're in the sun, you're in the rain, you're in the cold, whatever. We're out there doing it. Um, and so we we have to help them understand why we're going to do it and make this change and how it's going to start to help them. Tu espanol está bueno? Sí, es más o menos. Nice. Um, okay, so actually, can you just touch on that quickly, though? You know, a lot of folks are working with Hispanic workforces, um, and maybe the leaders uh, don't have Spanish as a first language. You know, yeah. there's obviously cultural differences. There's cultural differences from the East Coast to the West Coast states, let alone different yeah. countries. Yeah. Um, anything you've learned over the years that's like helped you really kind of bridge that gap? Yeah, I show a lot of interest. Um, I would also say I went on almost a half dozen mission trips a long time ago to Mexico. Um, and really, it's it sounds corny, but fell in love with the culture. Um, and then when I got married, my wife and I took our honeymoon our, and our five-year anniversary down to Mexico. So it's a place I really enjoy. It's being in Washington, it's not that far or hard to get down there. Yeah. Um, and so when I'm working with these guys, even if my my Espanol is basura and their English is basura, if I, I ask a lot of questions, I'll I'll pick up like a shovel in the in the in days past and I would say, like, como se dice, how how do you say this? And they look at you like, Are you for real? My my three-year-old knows how to say that, but You're they like, but help me out. Help me out, guys. And they tell me, and I really work hard. I either write it down or I try to like make a mnemonic memory type thing and I'll remember it. And then I'll use the name next time. And they start to see like, man, Chris asks. And then he starts to use our language. And it's not just English. It's not like, hey, this is America. Learn, learn English. I, I try really hard at that. And that has, I think, helped me a lot with these guys to help them see me not just as the owner and the boss, but a guy that's trying to learn their stuff and meet that's them cool. that way. That's cool, man. Showing interest. I love that. Yep. All right. So um, tell us a bit. I mean, when we talked a bit, when we were prepping about this, we, you know, we were talking about growth and, you know, one of the constraints, which you've, you know, with the humility of Chris here mentioned that it's the leader, but also you mentioned finding the right customers has been a big part of the success. Yep. Can you just talk a little bit about like what you guys have done to find the right customer? Uh, well, we hired you. Thank you very much. And I appreciate yep. that. <laughs> so that was a start. But um, we've seen for a while now the the scope of our project over even the last five years 
has started to grow. And what I mean by that is there was a time, like when I took over back in 09, we were the people that would put in a front entryway and a couple plants and a little bit of drainage and some grass and get out of there. And it was like two days. Bam, bam, days. thank you. You're done. That's it. <clears throat> um, and then clients started seeing what we could do and they would typically, then they'll start to say, well, can you come look at this area of my yard? Or I was thinking about a roof structure to cover my deck. Is that something you do? Uh, or, hey, I mentioned the deck. Do you guys build decks? And it it kind of started to snowball. And I, I really, really enjoy construction a lot. It, I read a lot of trade magazines from decking to hardscape um, to house building, all kinds of stuff. I just love learning tricks and new techniques. Um, and in doing that, I wasn't afraid to take things on and say, yes, we can do that, whether that was through a subcontractor or me spending some time in a how to build it type book. Yeah. Um, and then going out and doing it. And as we've done that, we've seen our projects go from like ten, twenty thousand dollar average budgets to well over a hundred thousand dollars. Um, and that has become very, very common for us to have six figure jobs. And I mean, when I I remember my first large job um back in 2010 was I think sixty two thousand, and I could not believe this man said yes to doing this landscape and spending that kind of money on a landscape and how those checks come in those are progress payments for us sometimes and it's just the scale has changed you know um and the client's expectations have grown as well because they're expecting us to be the experts you know when you think about it we need to be slope experts drainage experts oh you name action it's all over material know, experts. Yeah. And that's what they expect of us. And we're pretty darn good at that at this point, knowing how to bring it all together. So then what do you say to the people? Cause one of the things we're talking about on stage all across Canada and the U United States to landscapers across the industry is we got us, we got to level up where your, your customer, we've got to go after the higher yeah. level, the higher value customer. And the reason yeah. we believe really strongly is that is because they're not impacted by interest rates. They don't really care about inflation. They want mm -hmm. epic shit to do epic shit with. And they have the money for it, period. A hundred percent. So if we need to, you know, um, leverage the, 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 the level of, of client we're going after, but then as an entrepreneur, I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. And then there's like this imposter syndrome that kind of, you know, gets in people's heads and they go, you know, yeah, you, it till you make it. So just, can you talk a little bit about like how to yeah. help someone get through that block? Yeah. We've tried a few things. Like there was a, a period of a year or two where we used to charge for us to come out and estimate your project. Um, and that, that kind of helped to qualify potential clients because if they weren't willing to pay the fee whether it was ten dollars or fifty dollars they just went away and we we didn't worry about it um and we have continued to evolve and now we look at it as we're not out there to estimate we're out there to consult with clients and i think our marketing and our branding has really moved more towards that um and then a business like yours that has helped us create these landing pages and things that the, the prospective client has to research and fill out we asked some of the, the more difficult questions from the very first phone call, like, well, what, Rob, what is your budget? Oh, Chris, I don't know. I, I don't even know what this stuff costs. Okay, well, Rob, what if I told you most of our clients spend at least $70,000 on a landscape? 
Holy sh! People spend that. No, no, no. I have like four thousand. Because they'll eventually they'll tell you some number. There is uh, a number. There isn't. They have everyone does. I've done home improvement projects around my house. I'm hoping the window project I'm getting the bid on is going to be under ten thousand, or yeah. the roof that I need is going to be under thirty. I know a number. Um, and so we've worked hard at just getting those numbers out. And when they don't align, we tell the client, we help to educate them and explain why the $4,000 is not nearly enough for the patio, the roof, the deck, and the outdoor kitchen that they wanted. <laughs> not even one of those components is only $4,000. Um, and so after we've explained a few things to them, if, if that number hasn't jumped significantly, like to $40,000 or something, then we just tell them politely, we're not the, the company for them and we don't feel bad about it. They might ask for a referral. We'd often don't have great, that's not true. Sometimes we have referrals, but I'm not in the business of referring. Well, um, no, you got to put your name on somebody else's business, right? Yes. And so we just, hey, there's that amazing thing called Google and you can find somebody else that way, just like you did us. But, you know, that's just, not the kind of projects we focus on. If it's a get in and out and be done, that's not us. We're a bigger planning, slow it down company at this point. So and that's that's a cool perspective right there about slowing down. But like, so let's say I'm an entrepreneur, I'm doing $20,000 average jobs. Yep. And someone comes to me and says, I want, I got 120 grand. I want to do X, Y, and Z. Can you do it? And then in my mind as the entrepreneur, you know, been in business maybe four or five years, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if we should take it on. I'm not sure if we can make this happen. And, and they're thinking maybe they shouldn't, maybe they should. What's your advice to, to those folks? I think it. I've learned over the years, there's different types of entrepreneurs and business owners. There's people who have a business, but all they have is a job. They've created a job for themselves. There's no, it's not sellable. The business, it isn't. They, they it's are like dependent on them. It is. It's a hundred percent dependent on them. If they get sick or injured, it folds. Um, they're, robbing peter to pay paul like they don't have any money in the account really until the client pays them so then they can buy materials for the next project if you're that then i think what we're talking about won't even apply if you're the other one which i think is somebody that wants to build a business and it doesn't have to be like we are 30 employees maybe you just want to have five to ten but you don't want to be all dependent upon you all the time you want to have some key staff um then i think that's the kind of person I like to align with when I'm talking about business stuff, because that's where I find myself is I want to grow this thing, um, honestly, so that I can take a passive income from it in the next 10 years and kind of hang out with my wife and my kids and play some golf and do some other things and not be tied daily to my business. Um, and so if that's you to take on that $120,000 job when your average is 20. I think I would look at what kind of cash do I have? What um, like what ability to pay things later do I have with my vendors? Have I set that up? Am I, do I have terms essentially? So I, I can take a job like that on. And then I would make sure I structure my contract with the client that I'm getting progress payments from them. So I'm not getting like 60 grand down and then waiting on the other 60 till I'm completed. I would have it set. So I have a smaller deposit and then I get cash every like week to two weeks from the client so that I have cash flow coming in to support that job. Cause I'll tell you right now, you're not going to hit hours on that hundred twenty thousand dollars job the first time you do it. You're gonna you're gonna mess something up. Yeah, and, and so do it. And what I'm hearing from you though is do it. 
So that's how I am. I would 100%. I, I love it. We are for our biggest so far was, I think, around a half million. And it freaked me out. But I was like, what the hell? What, what are we going to do? Not do it? Let's go, baby. <laughs> Somebody else is going to get this job. I want my name on it. Let, let's yeah. do it. We have the people and the staff and the resources to do this. Let's talk to our vendors. Let's get some terms. Most of the vendors have experts in the different areas, whether it's irrigation or hardscaping, and they'll come give you knowledge too and help you out with this stuff. If you're not sure how to build it, they'll oh, help. ask for help. Yeah. Okay. So talk about mentorship, asking for help. You know, how has that helped you? I mean, even when you started this thing, yeah. Your business partner was a quasi mentor, had an opportunity to take you under his wing. Now I know you've got other mentors, you know, can you just speak to what that looks like? The power of having some folks around you that, you know, kind of scaffolding to help yeah. you build. Uh, I've never been afraid to ask for directions if I'm lost or ask for help period. I'm not that prideful. Um, I would rather get the project done and done right. So I never have to redo it as opposed to fumble my way through it. Um, and so I have found, you know, through church and other places, I a lot of my friends uh, are handy folks and I can call upon them and say, hey, like I have one really good buddy who runs his own construction company, does interior remodels. And I can call him all the time and say, hey, how would you flash this deck to the house under the sliding glass door so that I don't get water penetration? And he'll tell me the products and things to use. And then YouTube is a, a tremendous um, resource same with instagram you know you can search different construction companies and they often put up tips and other things and it's from guys doing it on the on the daily not just some textbook or right. somebody that's telling you theory it's hey this is what i found to work and it's worked for 20 years and then what about mentorship that has been a big one for me i when i took over i reached out to a few people older than me and just said I I see what you've built, whether it was the lumber yard um, or a hardscape company. And I would really like to understand a bit of some of the trials and things you went through to get there so that hopefully I don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I have really found that a lot of guys are, when you kind of come that way to them and build them up a little bit and, and sweet talk them, they're often, especially if I'm not trying to take valuable time away from them. If I'm willing to really adjust my schedule to fit theirs or they call today and say, I could meet you in half an hour. I try to drop what I'm doing to fit into their schedule. Um, and oftentimes they're very willing to just tell me uh, what they think on the subject or what they screwed up and what they think I shouldn't do moving forward. Well, I mean, um, and it's, it's really honest to, to, you know, sweet talk them because you're asking their opinion because you value what they've done, right? Like it's yeah. not, you know, that kind of uh, ask for a mentor is pretty natural to sweet talk because that's the, the nature of the reason of speaking with them. I think it's really important people get that. And when people are successful, they want to spend time with people that want to be successful. Like yes. a lot of people, I think, forget that mentors like mentees, like they actually enjoy it. It's a two-way street. Yeah. I've also not been afraid to spend money. Um, and hire professionals. So there's a couple people in the industry, like Tony Bass comes to mind. He's in Georgia. Um, I have worked with Jer Jeffrey Scott. I've worked with a few others through the years and they're expensive. <laughs> there's, there's just no way around it. We're not talking like a couple hundred bucks. Um, but in doing that and hiring them, whether it was for a business corporate meeting or ongoing 
kind of mentorship and training or business coaching. Um, it has been so life-giving to me to do that and well worth the, the investment that I look back on. I think that's another thing. I've never been afraid to spend the money to make the money. Um, I, I don't live, I'm not a fearful person. And so I don't kind of do a lot of the what ifs in my mind. I tend to make a decision and then I'm rolling. And my wife jokes with me all the time. She's like, things just work out for you. It's like, well, it's kind of what you make of it, right? It, yeah. I, I tend to be positive and believe they are going to work out. And I'm also willing to work my butt off to make sure that happens. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, good luck seems to follow hard work. Yes. Yes. And, and I don't think that's an accident. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and like, you know, spend the money to make the money. I think sometimes also like you, you can, it's like making bets. Some bets pay off, some don't. Yep. Um, and and firing some bullets to see if something's going to work uh, can go a long way. Because if it hits, it goes well. Like, you know, uh, was it Warren Buffett said that one out of 10 investments went well. Um he pretty good okay. ratio. <laughs> he, did okay. he, he did okay. Right. Yeah, he's doing all right. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. It I think, you know, it's not like we have ever made just these mountains of cash. There's been years that were super lean and we were just kind of grinding through it. But I always felt like there's the rainbow ahead, you know, and if I just do this stuff now, it will pay off later. And I know we're over 10 years into it, but it's starting to feel like it's actually working that way for me now and i had to kind of grind through the hard stuff to get to the the light end of the tunnel and i'm not all the way there but i'm definitely on the right track at this point and that feels really good okay so then you know as we kind of come to the end of the interview here on this podcast what would you say like you know if you think about business year to year as um lessons learned um you know good outcomes bad outcomes you know, we're incrementally adding to the business. We're making it stronger for the long term. Is there is there one or two things that kind of come off as like key decisions or key things that you brought into the business that made it successful over time? For us, it's driven around our people. Um, making good decisions on bringing new staff in. Um, so my, I, I already mentioned my brother works for with me. Um, my best friend from childhood, Cameron, uh, has worked at Father Nature since 2012. Another friend from high school works with us. And it's not to say all those have been successful, but we we are really getting better at if a bad apple has shown themselves to be that way, then they got to go. Um, and we want high performers and people that are accountable and that are very team oriented um, to join us. And if, if you're kind of the lone wolf and you'll figure it out all on your own, that's not a good fit for us. And so hiring the right people, um, and honestly not being afraid when you meet that person that blows your socks off. And in my head, there'll be times where I'm like, man, my crews are full. My inside staff is full, but I can't pass on this person. And I, I know my numbers pretty well at this point. I'm like, yeah, but if I bring them on, that's going to cut into the, we usually just make the, the decision to bring them on and we'll figure out how we're going to pay for them and some of that as time goes on. And that has never bit me in the butt ever. So then help some people like recruiting, you know, getting staff, recruiting, finding the right people, huge yeah. growth constraint from a lot of people's perspective has been yes. for years. It was intensified the last couple. We'll see if it maintains itself over the next couple of years. Uh, regardless though, a tip or trick, something that you're done in the recruiting that's helped you, you know, find some good folks? 
That's a good question. So we feel really blessed in that because I hear that all the time too. Like I, there's just nobody out here and um, it's not to brag, but it is a little, I guess. It, we don't have that issue. Um, we typically have one to two people coming in every week to our front desk at our receptionist asking to fill out an application. Um, but that didn't just happen. And so I've been intentional about recruiting for a long time. So I'm a part of our master builders and a couple other associations. And I go to meetings and I meet other contractors and I go to um, events where you like can set up a table and put brochures out. And I go, uh, there's some colleges in our area and I, I attend those. I went to- And you one, go. I do as the business owner. Yes. I, yeah. I feel like, because I'm the branch manager and the business owner, I feel like that's part of my responsibility to find epic to, people is to try and find epic people and bring them in to the fold. And so like I went to a um, one this spring at a, I forget what kind of college it's called, but it's, it's like a trade school and they were doing mock interviews. And so I got to go meet, it was like 20 young people, 19, 20, 21, all in the carpentry construction trade. And I was pretending to interview them. And so I was able to also give all of them my business card and say, hey, I'm always looking for great people, especially the ones I liked. And, <laughs> you know, because some of them, I was like, I, there's we're not, good. You're all right. Thank you. And then others were standouts. And so I gave them my card and just introduced myself a bit more before the next interviewee came in. And I, I like that stuff, though. I, I don't love public speaking but I force myself to do it when opportunities present themselves to try and get better. I really think I excel more on the one-to-one, one-to-two type setting. Um, and so I look for those opportunities. And because I put the word out in my community, I get asked for that stuff. It's awesome. Not all the time, but I it comes but enough. Way. Enough. And when it comes up, I, I clear my schedule and I go do it. And then shocking, now I have people knocking on the door pretty regularly looking for jobs. We also try really hard when employees leave, which we get a lot of that. People are chasing a dollar all the time. Sure. And so we try to, as best we can, make them feel special and celebrated on the way out. And like this week, I'm not I'm not kidding. I had two guys come back this week that begged for their jobs back. And we, they were great people. And so we had some discussions with them on what it was like when they left and, and what we need from them moving forward. But we brought them back. Huge. And so it's like the grass isn't always greener, you know? And sometimes they got to go see it. They do. And we understand that. Which is cool, right? Instead of um, egos being burnt and bridges, you know, going down in flames, you maintain those relationships and wish them all the best. And then who knows what comes back around. That's it. That's I, it. I just can't um, stress how important it is to just listen to what Chris said here in that, you know, I swear nine out of 10 uh, landscape entrepreneurs, staff, can't find anybody. Um, how many of them are going out there and talking to these kids, being at these events, you know, um, being out in the community, engaging with young folks in, in contracting and trade. So, uh, it might and, sound and silly too, Rob, but like at a restaurant, I usually have business cards in my wallet and I have left my card a few times for a fantastic server and asked them, you know, in con like if they're talkative and chatting my wife and I up ask them how they like their job. Sometimes they love it. Other times they're like, well, yeah, it's kind of a job. And that's when I'll leave a business card and say, hey, look my website up and give me a call if you're interested in a different opportunity. Epic. And hospitality server staff, especially in good organizations, like we got the keg here. You ever been to one yeah. of those? 
Yeah. Yeah. Like their training is epic. Yep. Um, you know, you grab a, and then, and, but, and you can level them up, right? Like they're, they're, they're good at doing what they're doing. I think hospitality staff is a really cool fishing hole and a lot of things, a lot of people don't necessarily consider that. So we'll keep it between us. I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's a podcast. So I guess everybody's going to hear it. Yeah. But I, I think lastly too, I, I would say we aren't afraid to hire from with outside of our industry. Um, we don't have an incredibly robust training program. We're working to improve it. But I wouldn't be hesitant to bring someone in that's never swung a hammer or pushed a shovel around. And but they're a wonderful person. They have great skill, like they can talk and they you can jive with them and all that. I, I we feel like we can train you how to do a landscape, but I can't always train you how to be a decent person and someone I want to spend time with. <laughs> you definitely can't. And then, and also, uh, somebody asked me like, "How do you motivate m- millennials?" Hmm. And and I was like, "You don't." you find the motivated ones. Yeah. <laughs> you can't motivate people. Um, this is awesome, man. Okay. So wrap up one last one. Yeah. If there was a resource, a uh, book, speaker, you know, video podcast, whatever that you would recommend someone to check out to help them grow their landscape business or business in general or themselves as a leader, what would you, what would you say? Hold on. I'm going to grab it. All right, sweet. All right, so I mentioned Tony Bass, and he's not paying me for anything like this, but um, years ago, I read this book, Michael Gerber, The E-Myth. So good. And I remember driving around Tacoma, and my my like head, the purple blew out, and I was it, it, my head exploded when I read some of this stuff, because I was doing this. Yeah, and then Tony... Uh, worked with Michael Gerber and wrote this one, The E-Myth Landscape Contractor. Epic. And I read it as well. And it, obviously it's more specific to what I do, but those those resources for me changed how I was looking at the business at the time. That's when I, I switched from having a job to feeling like I'm a business owner and I have a business that I want to build um, that I could either sell someday or I could pass down or I could just like, quietly retire from and i told you take a passive income from i love it now there's this quote we uh we have at the talks we do and it's it's gerber michael gerber it says if your business depends on you you don't own a business you have a job and it's the worst job in the world because you're working for a lunatic yep (laughs) (laughs) amen Uh, you're the best, man. Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, if you've made it this far, everybody, thank you so much for listening uh, to this podcast with Chris Shear from Father Nature. Thanks, man. Rob, you're welcome. My pleasure. The I Am Landscape Growth Podcast is brought to you by Intrigue, where passionate marketing meets predictable results for entrepreneurs. Remember to like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the next episode. And if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, please visit IntrigueMedia.com and click on Podcasts.